You're listening to WNHH Community Radio 103.5. Hello and welcome to another episode of Art Beat. I am Daniel Fitzmorris, the Executive Director at Creative Arts Workshop. And it is an honor to bring in a special guest today to get a little preview of an upcoming exhibit at the Yale University Art Gallery called Small Great Objects, Annie and Joseph Albers in the Americas, um, which is uh, opening on February 3rd and continues till June 18th. And who we have in the studio today, who I guess you can even see right now on Facebook Live, is um, Jennifer Reynolds K., who is the Lewis B. and Dorothy Coleman, Joan Whitney Payson Fellow. It's a long title. In the education department at Yale University. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. As well as Marlene Theodore, who is the associate curator of programs at Yale University Art Gallery. Hello. Hi. Well, before we dive into the subject matter, um, I'd love to know a little more, Jennifer, about um, your work. You have this 18-word title. Um, I know you from having taken classes at the Creative Arts Workshop. Um, so what, um, what brings you to this work? What is, um, how do you get here to Yale University Art Gallery as, as, the, as this fellow? That is a very good question. <laughs> it's a very long title. Um, and it's such an honor to work at the Yale University Art Gallery with an amazing team. Um, for me, my, this project really stems, goes all the way back to graduate school. Um, so I did that? I did my PhD at the University of Southern California mm-hmm. in art history. Um, I started and I went into it thinking I was going to work on contemporary art. Um, I took one class in pre-Columbian art history and just fell in love. Um, I was just blown away, blown away by how interesting the art was, how different um, the iconography just kind of drew me in. And I was trying to figure out a way to reconcile sort of the two years of coursework I had already done in contemporary art history with this newfound passion for pre-Columbian art. Mm-hmm. So I thought about think, how do I bring these two together? And one solution was to look at modern and contemporary artists who are inspired by or who reinterpret pre-Columbian images in their art. So I've been, I I'd spent seven years working on that project and uh, met at USC, at USC mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Um, I met Jock Reynolds, um, the director of the Yale Art Gallery, and I was a research assistant for him um, in a project that was at the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego. Okay. And so we got talking. So that all started on the West Coast. It all started on the West Coast. Um, I'm still a California girl at heart. <laughs> Very strange to have it's very cold cold weather, although today's not too bad. Um, but Jock Jock is a visionary and he saw my research and he had this exhibition catalog that the Albers Foundation had done, the Joseph and Annie Albers Foundation, just out here in Bethany, Connecticut. Um, and it was called Latin American Journeys, and it was the first show of its kind to really think about Joseph and Annie over their 13 trips to Latin America. So he wanted to do something, you know, the Yale Art Gallery has, I think the largest collection of Joseph Albers paintings in the United States, in any museum. So he really wanted to do something with the Albers, had this catalog, had been working with me, and thought about what would it look like to do a Latin American journey style show at the Yale Art Gallery. 
Wow. Um, so, and one thing, I mean, for people who don't know, I mean, what's an what's an exhibition catalog? That sounds is that like the <laughs> Sears catalog or the IKEA catalog, or is or or is it something quite different? So the exhibition catalog, um, I've only done one. I've looked at many, but um, it is sort of the written record mm-hmm. of the argument of the show, the contribution, and usually has a beautiful spread of images that were in the show. Um, and and this show, Small Great Objects, have to plug have to plug the book. Also has an exhibition catalog um, with an essay written by Michael D. Coe, um, who is a professor emeritus at Yale and the curator of the Peabody Museum. Was the curator of the Peabody Museum in anthropology, and then I kind of write the bulk of the the essay and the selected objects in the back. Great. Um, so so the foundation of the Alberts had this exhibition catalog that was sort of the catalyst that started this whole other exhibit. Right. And they had that show, Latin American Journeys, traveled through Spain, Mexico, and Peru, but never had a U.S. venue. Um, The Alvarez Foundation did another show called Beautiful Confluence in Milan, um, but again, not in the U.S. So this is kind of the first U.S. show that looks at mm-hmm. Annie and Joseph and particularly through the lens of a, as collectors. And I think that's the real contribution to the scholarship is to think about not only their travels, but what, what, they, what were they collecting? How were they acquiring it? How much money did they spend? These kinds of questions mm. that hadn't really been as kind of carefully considered before. Sure. Well, then let's, um, let's back it up a little bit to them. For a minute because i'm familiar with annie and joseph albers um but if you had never ever heard that or even never seen that spelling of annie a-n-n-i which is really unusual i mean what who are these people um how did how did all of how did they they have their own careers as artists and yeah as this exhibit explores a whole other kind of passion yeah definitely so um annie and joseph albers were bauhaus trained um, artists. Annie is best known for her weavings and textiles. Um, some of her textile designs are still being produced by Knoll Textiles. Oh, wow. um, so she still has a very living presence. Um, she's, you know, also did printmaking, um, but I think people would recognize her most for her, her weaving. And um, she, so she was a weaver. He w- was a painter um, he's most well known for his homage to the squares series. Mm-hmm. So kind of like nestled colored squares, um, different colors, really interested in the, how the vibrations of colors register in the eye. Um, so those are you see, a weaver and a painter um, met in the Bauhaus in 1922, um, living happily in Germany. Um And with the rise of the Nazis in 1933, um, and even before, um, they were, you know, the Bauhaus was forced to close. Mm -hmm. Annie and Joseph needed to find something else. They were students and then teachers at the Bauhaus later. So luckily they got a letter from Theodore Dreyer, who was starting this brand new um, art college called Black Mountain College Mm -hmm. in North Carolina, and invited... Annie and Joseph to kind of be the foundational artist educators at this college, a very progressive, um, 
kind of avant-garde college. There was a great show just about Black Mountain College, uh, the ICA that traveled around. Um, and there's lots of famous artists that grew out of Black Mountain College. It's mm-hmm. all school of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely performance art, um, you know, John Cage. Um, oh, so many others. Yeah, Robert Rauschenberg. Maureen's mm-hmm. my art historian uh, <laughs> comrade over here. Um, but they were Annie and Joseph were there at the beginning. They were there from they the were beginning. Foundational as faculty. Yes, and for me, what's interesting is that though they had um, kind of seen Andean textiles and pre-Hispanic art in museums in Germany, because some of the royal collections at Germany in German museums are some of the best in the world. They, they kind of wet their appetite there, but they weren't able to travel south sure. um, until they were in the Americas. Well, and that's based on proximity, right? All of a sudden, here we are in the United States, here and we, we can just fly down. Yeah, well, well, they didn't fly. but They don't fly? Oh, how do so... you get down at 1930s? <laughs> I guess there's another way. So in 1930, um, so their first trip was in, um, was in 1934, and they actually went to Cuba. First, um, with Claire Porset, who was a student at Black Mountain College. Mm-hmm. Um, then they went to Mexico from there. And they, I, I don't know if they ferried. The first trip is a little kind of hazy. But the second trip in 35, it said that Joseph learned how to drive a car. Okay. So <laughs> he could take the 2,000-mile trip <clears throat> Wow. from, imagine, North That's Carolina dedication. to Mexico City. I mean, those That's are, dedication. I don't even, haven't looked at, what highways are, you know, what they look like. Yeah. Not too, not (laughs) too late. You get in the car and you can, um, you can drive the whole trip. Yeah. Um, But then what was, I mean, was their interest in, so you're saying they didn't really have exposure to Latin American art except for in museums Mm -hmm. in Germany. So is that, was it sort of a manifest passion? Like we're here in, in the United States and we're going to really dig into this Latin American experience in real time? Or, or, I mean, what was the impetus to start doing all this traveling and collecting mm-hmm. um, other than the proximity, obviously? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, there's two things. There's sort of like when they were in Germany, there was this whole interest in artists um, of what was then called primitive art. Mm-hmm. There was a mm-hmm. Museum Folkwang um, that they may have visited. We think they visited um, where you would see modern art and primitive art right next to each other. So okay. I think it was in their consciousness as their development as artists and educators. Um, but I think, you know, Clara Porset said, Hey, come to Cuba and, and give some lectures and, um, I think that really started once they started seeing all of the museums there and started meeting artists like Diego Rivera and, um, you know, just immerse themselves in in the architectural remnants at these amazing sites at Teotihuacan and Tenayuca. And, you know, Joseph took thousands of photographs Mm -hmm. um he's not really known he's sort of starting to be known as a photographer but he's a great photographer and so we have what he was looking at um through his eyes when he visited the museums and the sites Mm -hmm. and and, i mean was there also a component of economics to this i mean their teachers like these though they have art output all their own i i don't 
associate them as being starving artists, but rather sort of educators, te- um, educator artists, teacher artists, and they're in their practice and they have, like you said, a lecture. They're giving lectures through Latin America. So, I mean, was there a way they were able to afford? I mean, it's a large amount of work they collected. It's not a piece by a friend here and there. Mm-hmm. They were traveling all through Latin America and collecting thousands of objects. Right. So the trajectory that I kind of map out um actually nicely dovetails with what you're saying, because I think in the beginning it was, you know, a few pesos here for something on the side of a road with, you know, this very informal economy mm-hmm. as they started um, becoming more well-known as artists, particularly Joseph, we see them spending more and more and operating within, you know, moving from sort of collecting things during their travels to operating within this network of New York dealers um, and trading, you know, oh, I'll trade you this um, homage to the square for those sets of Tlatilco figurines. Oh, so he was trading his work Yeah, so there are these, yeah, great records of kind of, um, you know, here's an exchange of modern art for this primitive art and um, Andre Emmerich, who Molly knows very well, um, was a key part of that as well. Wow, that's interesting. And so then where did, um, I mean, where did they keep all these objects? Where are those objects now? I mean, I know a lot of them are in the gallery right now waiting to be seen um, when it opens. But how does that whole, you know, we could spend lots of time talking about the art of collecting and what you do with the collections that you've amassed. But um, how did how did the Albers amass their collection? What did they do with all of this mm-hmm. work? So um, Michael co-writes about this a little bit in his essay. Um, so I would recommend going there. But they stored it in the basement of their house. Wow. <laughs> the, the collection, they had a cabinet. I've never seen the cabinet. Michael went to their house and has seen this firsthand. Um, but they were kind of, the, especially the small figurines were kind of on a bed of cotton in plastic trays. And just kind of slid into these cabinets. Somewhere a curator in, is screaming, like, <laughs> right, no, don't do that. Right. In their house in Orange. I mean, luckily, these are pretty sturdy ceramic pieces. Um, so, you know, with the exception of the Andean textiles, there's not right. too much concern. Right. And I, we didn't track that. But somewhere along the way, they end up at, at Yale, correct? Is that- right. So, they're, so they start in their basement. Yep. And Michael Coe, you know is talking to them and they're looking for a permanent home, mm-hmm. like a museum of uh, you, ideally a university museum. Mm-hmm. Um, they went kind of sh- sent some ideas, sent a letter out to Harvard, sent one out to Princeton, but in the end, Yale was able to meet what they wanted, which was a book mm-hmm. and they wanted a show. So the Peabody, um, I think it was in 19, the 1970s, um, in 80s, I should have the date, um, took basically the collection and, and accepted it and then did a great show okay, called The so, Albers Collection of um, Ancient American Art. And it well, was and great. Well, and that's interesting. And, and we mentioned that a little in the beginning, but these objects have multiple perspectives to them. So, so, and I didn't realize that so they were mounted once at the Peabody as an exhibit. Right. And they were sadly removed to put in the bookstore. Oh, wow. Wow. Can you talk for a second how the Albers came to New Haven? 
Like, oh yeah. From, uh, <laughs> yeah. So the well, because when they were collecting, they were in North Carolina, right? So so they were collecting. They started North... there, mm-hmm. and then where did they? They did end up in New Haven, right? So 1950 to 58, Joseph is the head of the Department of Design at the Yale School of Art, um, and had his office in Street Hall, where Molly and I have our mm-hmm. offices. Oh. Um, so they were here, you know, for eight years, and I think it was also that proximity to New York. Thanks for mentioning that. That kind of also made it possible to take, you know, there's an auction. So Annie would jump on the train and head to the auction. And we have the auction catalog with her little annotations and receipts. And Mm -hmm. the real contribution that I I hope I've made is to reunite all of this together. So reuniting the objects with the documentation, Um, you know, the documentations in Bethany at the Albers Foundation, the objects of the Peabody, what would it look like to bring it together? Well, that's what's so unusual, too, is that you're bringing these very place-specific things that are all within our locality, right? So you said their their home is in Orange, Mm -hmm. and the Albers Foundation is in Bethany, and and all of these objects, which um, many of them you're putting on display next month, are in New Haven. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, who knew that there was such a Latin American... Uh, object collection within our front door, but I guess we should be used to that in in New Haven by now. Um, what's the role that the um, that the foundation plays? I only know a little bit about it, but I'm sure you worked really closely with them in figuring out some of these logistics. Um, they were they're amazing. Like I this exhibition it's one of our best kept secrets as well. This Annie and Joseph Albers <laughs> Foundation in Bethany. Like this would not have happened without the support of Nicholas Fox Weber and Brenda and their whole crew. I mean, it's just, I started going there every Friday for two years mm-hmm. in their archives and looking in their vaults and asking a million questions and pestering them, still pestering them about, you know, high res Im- images. And I mean, they're just incredible. And it's the most beautiful, peaceful, Mm-hmm. to and think so, about art and their function is that i mean they, they're the sort of records right they keep all of the records of the artists and i mean it's it's that question about what artists do when they are no longer with us yeah. and and they set up this foundation and the archive um of that i mined for this book has hasn't really been well hasn't been mined to the same extent before so i there's a lot of new it, it's based on the correspondence that Joseph and Annie wrote to Theodore mm-hmm. Ted Dreyer, founder of Black Mountain College, and his wife, Bobby Dreyer. So, um, you know, I really relied on access to those letters and conversations with Brenda and her team to kind of understand. And Brenda curated Latin American journeys. Oh, okay. And it curated Beautiful Confluence. So it was really important to kind of hear how they were thinking about collecting in their travels and the intersections with their art as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's They have their own lake. They have artist studios. They have writers and residents. I mean, it's, it's a, it's incredible. <laughs> Sounds like you won't, you'll be going back. Even I, once I the hope exhibit I'll be going back. <laughs> yes. So I want to, I want to bring um, Marlene in too, because, um, you know, beyond the scope of, not not to minimize the scope of work you did, Jennifer, because clearly you brought like a, a really big scholarly take on all of this, all of these objects. But um, how do you, then what do you do with all of this, Molly? I mean, is the exhibit up? I sh- I'm sure it's up by now. It's just not open yet or it's almost ready to be seen. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Someone is, yeah, someone's working really hard 
at Yell Art Gallery right now to get it ready for the 3rd of February. But um, how do you bring all of this scholarly work um, to life, to the general public? This is free, open to the public, accessible or as accessible as we possibly can make it, especially for these, I think, sort of secret local um, artist superstars in our community. Um, so as the curator of programs, I get to work with curators who are developing exhibitions. Um, and so for example, Jennifer and I have been having conversations for months, probably a year, year. And since the show was an idea, we had conversations about what kind of programs would reflect the work that she's doing, would mm -hmm. respond to the work that she's doing. And in some instances, even take it to another place mm -hmm. so that you think about the, um, the legacy of an exhibition, the exhibition catalog is one kind of legacy. The programs and, and the ideas that are formed there and the kind of um, modes of, of learning that mm -hmm. are engagement, the modes of engagement that are um, enacted in that space are things that people take with them. And those experiences um, you remember. Yeah. I mean, so w when I think about a great program, I think about an instance where you, you know, look really closely and you think about something really intently but then that sticks with you. And the next time you're walking down the street and you look at a street sign or you go to a museum, some of those same ideas are engaged. Mm -hmm. So you're always kind of, I don't know, your, your perception, perception has shifted a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so Jennifer and I have been talking for a while about what kinds of programs would best suit um, this exhibition. And typically I think about a variety of programs for each exhibition. Mm -hmm. I think about lectures. So the standard format of being in a lecture hall and kind of receiving information. Uh, we think about in-gallery programs so that you're in the space of the gallery and looking closely at maybe one work for an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, we think about studio programs. We think about performances. We think about um, crossing disciplines and how can another discipline highlight something in the exhibition. And Actually, we had so many ideas. This is like a small portion of what we were thinking about <laughs> that's doing. That's great though, right? And one of the fun things about having a show that spans from February to June is our calendar programming cycle goes in four-month increments. And we think of the semester. So September to December, January to April, and then May, June, July, and August are another calendar. So we have an opportunity to actually add a few more programs, which is fun for us. That is exciting. Um, so the show opens on February 3rd and on February 2nd, we have a conversation that Jennifer will moderate, uh, with a number of the, the people who have really helped form the ideas of the show who have helped, um, I think, uh, frame our ideas about Albers along the Albers is along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, she will be joined in conversation by Michael Coe, who she mentioned before, who is a professor emeritus of anthropology at Yale, uh, by Mary Miller, who is also a professor at Yale, um, by Nicholas Fox Weber, who's the executive director of the Albers Foundation. Mm -hmm. And that's it. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> that's but, enough but, but that's it is enough <laughs> yeah. people, but that bring that's a lot of diversity in 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 backgrounds, right? That the perspectives as, you know, objects as art and objects as artifact um as well as sort of the history of those these people this is a very conversation we had the yeah. other day <laughs> i mean we were kind of thinking um you know when you have 
these three people on stage. You have the wonderful work of Joseph and Annie Albers. You have the collection that uh, the the show that Jennifer just curated. And how do you frame a conversation that? Um, I mean, this is like one hour where you have all these people together and thinking about the Albers as collectors, as artists. Um, what was the other? There was one other category that we're thinking of. Um, educators? As educators, yeah. Um, so there's a number of different lenses that we could use to frame um, this conversation. Mm-hmm. So and this has broad appeal then, you know, for educators who are educators and artists who are artists and collectors who are collectors and whatever combination therein for, yeah. for the audience and people that, who see the exhibit. Thank you. So that brings up, I mean, that we're thinking about our audience mm-hmm. and the audience for public programs is, um, is something I find really exciting because it brings together the university. So students and faculty and staff, and it brings together the community. So there's this real mixing of what tends to be a fairly sophisticated audience and sophisticated either in you know, the way they grapple with ideas or just in their general interest to say, learn about this, this couple and their art practice and their collecting practice. Local history buffs, for instance, Local who history just, buffs. this is such yeah. an interesting part of our history or Latin American history buffs. Right. And as Jennifer and I were talking about the other day, Albers is, I mean, you find these remnants of Albers, Joseph in particular, but Annie as well, all over New Haven and all over Yale. Um, I was in the home of one of the um, heads of colleges the other day. There's an Albers hanging up. Um, there, there's uh, there was another Albers exhibition maybe two years ago. We've done some Albers programming. Uh, we have this wonderful interactive of interaction of color book that Joseph worked on in our prints and drawings collection. So he really is. I mean, He's everywhere in a way. Anyone who's ever taken a color theory class <laughs> has sure. intersected and in some way with some of those ideas. Yeah. Walk through the third floor of the art gallery. Mm-hmm. You'll find yourself a couple of really great albers. Mm-hmm. And were you involved too in the, in the, in the, in the book to some extent as well? I mean, you were saying it's your, all the experiences was the book on like the scholarly end of things. Well, I like to think that the programs are scholarly yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, although we, I mean, I have, no, I don't think I was involved in the book at all. Although we did certainly talk about how the book framed the exhibition mm-hmm. and how the programs that we create would both like complement it, but also take it in another direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this conversation. Um, I think the following week on February 10th, we have one of two studio programs that we're holding. And while the uh, conversation is in the lecture hall and it's, open to um everyone the uh we're doing two studio programs one on february 10th and the other one on march 3rd mm-hmm. on friday at 1 30 and those are by registration just something we don't do all that often but it's a pretty intense and focused exercise so it's uh we need to um kind of plan everything out and those came about through um a kind of a few things that we were thinking about we were thinking about the albers as artists mm-hmm. Um, I, through the programs department, I run a program advisory committee, which is comprised of students. And there were two students who happened to be two students by the name of Caroline Canner and Zoe Dobler. And they were taking a class, um, offered by, uh, Fritz Horstman, who is the, um, artist residency and education coordinator at the Albers foundation. They were taking a class called progressive art education. 
And they, in the class, had done a number of exercises that Albert himself had had his students do, and they were really excited about it. And they had a bunch of ideas of studio programs that we could offer to the public. So because we were going to do two and because it's a couple and Joseph, <laughs> we decided to do one on weaving. Sure. And Fritz and the two students and Jennifer and um, a weaver who's based in Brooklyn by the name of, Ad- by the name of Addison Walls mm-hmm. will come and run a weaving workshop. We know that Annie um, herself was a weaver. She was first exposed, I believe, first exposed to weaving on a backstrap loom in um, in Mexico. And we plan to have a backstrap loom. We plan to have some cardboard looms and really take people through the process of, of weaving. Um, the second studio program will be one where we deal with color. Um, so thinking very much or putting ourselves in the mind of Joseph and mm-hmm. how he thought of color as relational. So that color is unpredictable, that when you put one color next to another, it might respond differently. Um, one of his exercises, if I remember correctly, is make three colors look like four. Mm-hmm. So doing exercises like that as a group. Um, and we've done a number of studio programs before, um, often in connection with an exhibition. And one of the things that I really love about them is that people get to learn like very specific um, and sophisticated artistic techniques. They also um, end up being um, in a group of people who they wouldn't necessarily find themselves with otherwise. So uh, we did a bookmaking workshop and there were members of the community with students and they were together, you know, helping each other thread needles and Mm -hmm. do other things like that. So it's this really, I think, um, wonderful opportunity for the community and a wonderful opportunity for students to be around um, each other in a way that they don't necessarily always get to. Definitely. Oh, I agree all together. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and were you then involved in the podcast too, Marlene? I'm going to pin you on all of these programs. Or who, who came with this podcast idea? Or what should we know about this podcast? Because it's another sense, right? You're talking, you know, we're going to see the exhibit and, you know, see the objects and intellectually digest that. You could participate, you know, mm-hmm. smell, feel, touch. But then there's this audio component as well. Yeah, so the podcast... Um... It's really exciting. I've been working um, with a Yale undergrad named Phoebe Petrovic, who is a podcast producer, um, and she is incredible. We met um, last May at a program called Thread at Yale, which is a three-day interactive workshop on storytelling in digital Mm. media. Okay, It's a fantastic, really, really great program run by Mark Oppenheimer, and we got to talking. I was really interested in how do you tell stories with objects? And also, how do you kind of synthesize the ethos of storytelling within the podcast format with the lecture-based format or interview-based format of sort of like the audio guide? Mm-hmm. So you have kind of this podcast storytelling, but in a very site-specific place um that would normally be the audio guide instead where how do we tell stories in the museum how do we tell stories about these objects um to get people to look closer to think more and to immerse themselves in in mexico and peru the the exhibition is laid out geographically so you're kind of traveling along with annie and joseph and more or less each section has its own podcast that 
uses some of that archival letters um, and a lot of their own quotes, um, quotes from the letter. So you're hearing what Joseph and Annie mm. actually wrote, actually thought. Um, and Phoebe is, you know, full out sound design, wow, you know, like voice actors. I mean, what a, again, a nice way of weaving students into an experience that the whole general public is also going to enjoy. Yeah, exactly. And it's um, it's on SoundCloud. It will um, launch soon. So you can also listen to it at home as well as in the galleries and you, after you the can show. get ready in advance yes. so you can enjoy it after or during right yeah you could during yeah so we it. encourage people to bring headphones and fully charged mm -hmm. um personal wi-fi enabled devices <laughs> um we have we'll have listening stations as well but we're hoping that it can be something that you carry along with you that you're hearing their thoughts as you're walking through the space. Mm, and that's a memorable takeaway, right? That's something you could cling on to um, later on for sure. Um, well, last, last couple of questions. I mean, I know that the exhibit is not done yet and you're in, you know, you're, you're about to, you know, maybe encounter six months of, of other challenges. But up to this point, I'm just curious, you know, what are the real challenges in each of your categories to doing this work and um, what or specifically for this project or just in general, what's the what's the struggle in making programs that works in gallery context in this setting in particular or in general, Jennifer, with your research? What are the big obstacles you had to jump over? It couldn't just be smooth sailing. It's just smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one of the things that I'm always aware of and People tell me all the time it's a great problem to have, and I recognize that it's a good problem to have, is we sometimes have more people than we can handle. Mm -hmm. um, so we're free and open to the public. We welcome everyone into the art gallery, um, and sometimes our programs reach maximum capacity. So a mission of the art gallery is to encourage encounters with original works of art. And we do, we have lectures in the lecture hall, so we do like traditional learning formats like that. Um, but we really like to do things in front of original works of art where you're really looking at that object um, and some, you know, how many people can stand in front of or gather in front of a single work of art. So one of my challenges is figuring out how perhaps multiple things can happen at once or we can offer a talk several times. A podcast is a great answer to that mm -hmm. because it gives you this um, authentic encounter and some kind of interpretive material with it. We um, are thinking of the studio workshops as having three different um, programs happening at a time and then kind of shifting spaces. So mm -hmm. while those are logistical concerns, they end up um, influencing the way in which content is, is conveyed. There's one other program that we didn't mention, and oh, we have yes, a number of gallery talks and a number yep. of exhibition talks as well. Um, and those are all accessible on our um, on our website. And you'll also receive, um, if you get the e-news, you'll see it in our, our e-news. Um, we have, we have a, a program format called Gallery Plus, where we invite students oh, right. to respond to the collection. And we were thinking of um, expanding that to community members. So in this instance, we've invited... Two community members by the name of Megan Craig and Rachel Bernson. Uh, Megan Craig is a philosophy professor and a painter, and Rachel is a dancer. 
and we um, invited them to respond to the collection. And that's a program that we have slated for May 18th, and I mm-hmm. believe it will happen on that date. Um, thinking about how to um, pull off a performance in an exhibition space when the exhibition's not yet installed. So we're thinking months in ahead, um, but you know, where will you be able to extend your arms fully? Or um, you know, where can an audience member observe mm-hmm. a performance? So those are some of the things that um, that I think about. Oh, that's wild. And even that extra couple months, as you said earlier, you could you know see how the first few programs go, and then plan a bunch of other things for that latter end of the of the show. I know yeah. for me, that's when I end up going is way at the end when you know it's last week to go, and and I'm sure that's true of your attendance that there's this you know surge of interest in the yeah. final moment because um, then it's gone. Um. There will be an opportunity for everyone, in addition to the February 2nd program, on February 14th, we have um, a membership program that is coincides with uh, Valentine's Day. In some ways, it's kind of designed for Annie and Joseph because it is a day where you celebrate love. Um, and on that date, we will be celebrating a number of exhibitions that are opening. And there will be tours offered by the curators and by some of our student guides. That program runs from... 530 to 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jennifer will be giving tours of the Joseph and Annie Albers show. Um, uh, Latanya Autry will be giving tours of the Let Us March On, the mm-hmm. prayer pilgrimage photographs. Um, they'll, uh, there'll be tours of Rembrandt etchings that we have up at the moment. Um, there will be tours of It Was a New Century, which is an exhibition of early 20th century uh, work by the curator Mark Mitchell. Um, our colleague Kelly Orgman will be giving tours of a show called Lumia, the, um, I don't know if this is the exact title, but the art of Thomas Wilfred. Um, so, and you use the M word in describing this exhibit on the 14th and it's worth saying membership that it's perfect. You could, you could sign up and become a member to the Yale Art Gallery right now for free. Yes, And it's hosted by membership, but everybody is welcome. Oh, even yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. Blur, the blurry word membership. <laughs> but there's no reason not to be a member because it's completely free and um, it's absolutely worth doing. So you don't not know about all of these things that are coming up and right. happening. Um, so we'll see you there. Yes. Well, I'll get my stuff. Yeah. All right. That gave Jennifer lots of time to think about <laughs> of all. And, and it's a long time, right? You said you've got seven years of doing the work in graduate school couple you know thinking about all that a couple of years here dealing with it and now you're about to you know the the wedding is about to happen so what's the biggest challenge today you'll oh you'll have problems after but what's the biggest challenge to date um, i think the biggest challenge was just you know i i faced a lot of adversity in graduate school when i wanted to do something a little bit out of the box mm-hmm. and bring contemporary and pre-columbian and modern art all together in one big mix and and really staying having conviction that that's exciting and there's potential and there it's fascinating that interplay mm-hmm. um just holding fast to that and not letting anybody deter me mm-hmm. was i think the biggest challenge and i i i feel like i'm just the luckiest person i'm you know i i've accomplished my goal of publishing, of curating. I'm teaching a Yale undergraduate seminar on the afterlife of pre-Columbian art. I mean, I just feel like those, um, you know, 11, 12 years of just sticking to it have really paid off. And um, I'm just very grateful 
for being in this position. Oh, that's such a nice positive challenge. <laughs> but I, I understand. I understand the point. There probably were easier pathways that you could have, you know, more popular um, pathways to go on. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I always love knowing is is whether or not, you know, because you have very varied backgrounds and that's how you get to these roles. You have like very bizarre, wacky backgrounds. Are you guys artists, visual artists? Are you secret dancers? You know, what is your what is your place in the in your creative side and your maker side, mm -hmm. if any, anymore? Yeah, well, thanks to Creative Arts Workshop, yes, I'm taking an amazing weaving class that I'm kind of obsessed with. <laughs> and that's my secret. That's one of my secret passions, along with a very um, kind of mutually, um, you know, stringed instrument ukulele. I love playing mm -hmm. the ukulele. I find them very, it's weaving and ukulele playing. They go well together. Just like um just like pre-Columbian like... art and then <laughs> modern art. Um but then were you a were you an artist, a little um, baby artist, or were you mm, I wish. No. I, no. I I I feel like I started weaving to get that insight and yeah. to be able to remember what's warp, what's weft, how does a shuttle work? So I think I'm just starting. I'm a budding weaver. Oh, excellent. Well stay with it. Keep your loom. Keep your loom, I put your name to. on it. <laughs> and what about you, Molly? Were you a, a, a budding young artist or did you um, come in from a different direction? I'm an art historian. Art history? An art, um, art historian. And actually, um, we were kind of joking when we realized that I was the Coleman Fellow before Jennifer was the Coleman Fellow. Aww. So I came here as a fellow in the education department after um, earning my PhD and um, then this position as curator of programs opened up and that's the position I am in now. That's great. Yeah. Well then um, the last question is my favorite question because you're both New Haven transplants to some extent. It's been some time now maybe, but what, um, you know, New Haven's an abundantly creative place and there are all sorts of inspirations that, that drive all of this to happen. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think there's something in the place that creates all of this, um, continued innovation and creativity going back to the albers right you know they found a, a creative home here so what do you find inspiring or creatively stimulating about being here and you're allowed to say yale university art gallery as your as your chief answer but you know um i'm just curious where you find your you know creative recharge any secret places that's a hard question yeah. um i i mean of course, the Yale University Art Gallery. But one of the things I really love about New Haven is it's there's so many wonderful things about it, and there's also so much possibility. Mm -hmm. So um, there are so many places for connection and growth and dialogue, and I find that really exciting mm -hmm. in a city. And I feel... Um, like Jennifer, pretty fortunate to be in this in the position that I'm in because I feel like I can um, help make some of those conversations happen and also be part of them. Mm. So it seems like a place where um, there's great possibility and, and, and great change can happen. Good, I like that. Yeah, I mean, coming from Los Angeles, huge, impenetrable city. I feel like New Haven for me is a small, great city. I mean, I know it's a medium size. It's, it's a lot bigger <laughs> than small. Speaking. But to go with the title of the show. With the title of the yeah. show, it's a small, great city. And as this, you know, a small person in a small, great city, I think there's so much potential. And it's 
you know, it's very easy to connect. So, mm-hmm. you know, even just sitting down for coffee with you, mm-hmm. like that, you know, it was an email. It would be impossible right. to sit down, you know, with, to have that personal connection, you know, if I was back in LA or the traffic. The traffic is terrible. <laughs> and then there's all these pop-up. I think the the store Project Storefront, yep. you know, Musical Interventions, such an inspiring place. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the world here is my oyster and it's just a matter of where do I want to invest my time? Currently, it's at the art gallery, but I think there's there's many, many um, places in New Haven that inspire me. The Alvarez Foundation is probably the most inspiring place for me at this point in my life. Mm, excellent. Well, we will make sure that as many people as possible come and get inspiration in in this exhibit, Small Great Objects, Annie and Joseph Albers in the Americas. And, and, and this is a real preview. So you've got fair warning. You have two weeks still mm-hmm. to get there um, when it opens on the 3rd. And, and, and we could reiterate all the programs, but I would say for sure, definitely making sure to note the February 2nd um, conversation at 530 because that's really the the one right in our immediate viewpoint is that but where can we find all of the programs um that are all coming up and even ones that are going to be coming later related to this exhibit on the Yale art gallery website which is artgallery.yale.edu and on that page if you click on calendar it will take you to all of our programs you can also come to the Yale art gallery and pick up a calendar and i'll hold it up for the time <laughs> community um in here is a grid of everything that's happening this uh, this semester oh brilliant and of course it, it bears repeating over and over and over again that the yale university art gallery is completely utterly transformatively free mm-hmm. and so you know you can absolutely just walk in and pay no admission and grab all the pamphlets you want and come back another time for a program or you know it's really a challenge i, I always think um each of Yale's free galleries puts up a challenge for us to to be participants, to be engaged in the work, because it's all there. Um, you just have to schedule the time and be aware of what's happening. And certainly becoming a member is one of the easiest ways of making sure you never forget mm-hmm. um, what's coming up next. Um, it was a, a thrill to check in in depth about all of this exhibit, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, and I'll make sure to meet my challenge of going to some of those programs thank you so much for having us and for talking about this show and all the programs it's great to have you and best wishes i don't often see people really before the exhibit so i'm really good luck <laughs> you're about to embark you know yeah on check your in own, on february 2nd we'll see where <laughs> on i am on your own journey yeah. so my thanks um, to both of you for being here and we'll be back in two weeks take care